never seen you look so happy. I mean, this is just... <laughs> I like a lot of leads and yeah. dongles and um, well, you little have displays. Mm-hmm. I want you to leave this bit in the pod. Oscillating back and forth is <laughs> something I enjoy. Um... Kia ora, everybody. Welcome to 76 More Rooms. We're sitting here in Natasha's office in Franklin Road in Ponsonby. I'm Jeremy and I'm here with Arch, Matt and Natasha. And firstly, last issue we had, last episode we had a bit of sound problems. We had the doors open because we didn't want to give Julie Stout COVID. Not that any of us had COVID. Um, But it felt like there was a massive crime spree going on in Ponsonby because we also had police choppers and ambulances, sirens Sirens. and all sorts of things happening. So apologies for that. But this episode we are going to be talking about what's popularly known i guess is the kind of increase in density bill the resource management enabling housing supply and other matters amendment act which i should say at the beginning we are not experts on but there's a lot of interesting things to discuss about it but what this in essence does is it allows three homes of up to three stories on most sites in new zealand and a lot of sites will be able to build up to six stories it's a governmental response to the housing crisis um, and it hopes that we can increase density fairly quickly in our cities rather than sprawling out on the edges. Um, but interestingly, um, the New Zealand Institute of Architects submitted an opposition to the bill. Um, Urban Auckland submitted an opposition to the bill. And I should add, this is not an Auckland issue because um, this Amendment Act applies in Auckland, Hamilton, Tauranga, Wellington, Christchurch and Urotorua and it can also be enforced in cities that have acute housing need um, that aren't on that initial list of tier 1, 2 or 3 or whatever cities they are. Um, I wanted to come to you first, Tash, because you're um, the urban designer among us, which is not expecting you to be an expert. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I... Um, I was kind of, I submitted in favour of this bill because I felt that NIMBYism was holding the cities back and the Resource Management Act itself and the way it assesses effects um, allowed too many people, such as we saw with the Isthmus Development Development of Dominion Road in Auckland, it had Villaronas saying you'll ruin our view of western sunsets and therefore the development hasn't been able to proceed. So it was kind of removing, or was by right giving buildings a minimum height they could rise to and therefore getting rid of hopefully a whole slew of NIMBY complaints and allowing developers and housing providers the ability to proceed with resource consent applications with more certainty. But we've been talking about this in the days leading up to the pod and you have some reservations about the urban form that might result from this and I wondered if you wanted to talk about that. Sure, and I think it's it's probably fair to say that the NZIA's submission, and I understand Urban Auckland, although I haven't read that one, um, uh, also support the intent to increase density in our urban areas. They're all very clear on that. What I think um, a lot of people have reservations about is the way that this um, bill provides a really sort of blanket approach to any urban centre. It doesn't really respond um, to issues of context and um, it it treats all of those urban areas, um, regardless of whether they're Auckland or say Rotorua, the same. Uh, and it seems on first read that there's going to be very little um, ability for councils 
to um, challenge some of those larger rules and introduce qualitative measures um, that might help to um, ensure that the density relates better to the places that it is going in. Mm. So those are prob- that's probably the broader um, idea about um, where my reservations sit with the bill. That's really interesting. So what, what kind of urban form or what kind of building type, I guess, do you think this Act opens up possibilities too greatly because I think a lot of us are seeing kind of these great boulevards of six-storey apartments close to public transport but when we were chatting last night this is not the possibility that you're necessarily seeing the most. Well no because it's really clear it says it will support up to three dwellings on a site of three storeys high. Now that is not um, a a walk-up apartment block you know, which we might see, which might hold six dwellings and be three storeys. It's not a small apartment building. It's three dwellings. They might be conjoined in a terrace fashion. Um, So we actually already uh, have that ability to do that in the mixed housing urban suburbs within Auckland. So it's not new in that sense. There is already great swathes of Auckland where that kind of development can happen. Um, where you see um, much denser development is in the fab zones um, or other zones. This does not really allow that kind of development. It's really aimed at what I would call almost more infill development. And I think in a city like Auckland, you have to question whether that's really going to be a game changer in terms of our urban form. Mm. Particularly, uh, again, saying last night, the the subdivision pattern that we have means that these are not going to be three drillings side by side. They're going to be one behind each other with a driveway down the side type result, aren't they? Well, often, and I think this is one of the areas where context is really important, mm. and, and um, people don't talk about subdivision pattern enough, but it's it's really significant. Um, if you have a, a site with, um, you know, uh, more challenging proportions, perhaps a narrow street frontage, but a very, very deep site, in this instance, the only way that you're going to get that kind of density is to actually, as you say, kind of do the right of way um, down one side and then put them mm-hmm. like little, you know, one after the other. <sighs> you know, you, you wonder actually whether it would be better to look in those um, neighbourhoods that, that have that kind of um, subdivision pattern at, at, at um, uh, perhaps um, development controls that actually support um, amalgamation of sites to give different possibilities. That actually might give um, a better urban form that supports a better streetscape, but also better residential amenity on the site as well. Does this not allow amalgamation of sites or does it not specifically facilitate it, I guess? Well, I don't think it really um, uh, uh, facilitates it at all because, again, it's sort of um, ensuring that you can get a maximum of three dwellings on a site. Well, if you're going to develop a site that's sort of... Mm. Um, you know, a certain size already, then you're actually going to be looking at putting many more on that, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to talk a little bit about the um, some of the politics behind this, or some of the speculation behind the motivations for this, because it was suggested by quite a few commentators that the government's motivation for doing this, hot on the heels of the national policy statement on urban development, which does allow greater density and walkable catchments um, to public transport nodes, that they, the government felt that uh, local councils were not moving quickly enough on allowing density. Auckland is an interesting case because we have record housing consents going on in the city at the moment. But 
we also have what feels to be a kind of protectionist racket over the suburbs that immediately surround the inner city um, where there are special character overlays and where often quite well-heeled people can um, take potential developments and store them in the, in the environment court. Um, do any of you have any insight into that process and also opinion, I guess, about where the councils could have moved more quickly on this or whether the pace of development was acceptable in the face of the housing crisis, I guess? Oh, look, it's really it's really complex and I, I think you, you have to also consider... Um, the market and perhaps um, you know Matt and Arch might be um, better placed um, to talk about some of these things. I mean, development of say larger, denser sites doesn't happen <laughs> overnight. It does actually take quite a long time to put all the pieces in place, from the mm -hmm. the funding and the sale um, of of units um, to the design process. I mean, there are many, many, many hands that become involved in that kind of thing. I do actually think we are on the brink of um, uh, seeing more significant change in some of our um, suburbs with, you know, apartment blocks. There's one just going up around the corner um, uh, from us here opposite the supermarket. Um, and I think that that is going to bring kind of a new level of maturity to Auckland and I think that that's really exciting but to get good quality um, apartments it does take time it's not something that happens overnight. I was going to say that's kind of sigh. Uh, yeah <laughs> I, I was going to say because this these rules don't really even speak to apartments. Mm. They don't. Mm. In fact three stories is not a scale that apartments are economic. Yeah. Exactly. Um, more people live next door to uh, sites potentially affected by this than live next door to apartments right now. Yep. Yes. Hence the agitation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I think to touch on it really briefly there, there's the, there's the urban outcome, but you mentioned the residential amenity and the the thing I don't understand and and where there are design guidelines you know, sit with this um, this act. But the thing I don't understand is how the, the, those three homes on those sites can be designed as badly as you like. Um, it defines an envelope and you can put whatever you like inside it before anyone even needs to think about what the effects that you're having on any, any other sites around you. So, Time will, and really then, um, because you'd like to think that if it was um, another consumable, then people would have would understand it and um, and understand its quality and its um, and its durability and um, and appreciate how it looks and its contribution to um, let's say the street in the case of houses. And I just actually in Auckland. Um, I suspect you can sell what you can build. So no matter how bad it is, I think it will still sell. Because the shortage is so acute. Yeah. I think so too. And I think you probably end up with okay stuff and quite good stuff and, you know, the well-heeled suburbs, but then where where the land value is um, less and therefore the sale price less, price less pretty poor quality. Mm. And it, that's a concern. Yeah, it, it, it's... Because it will sell and it will, it will be a long, you know, houses aren't short-term problems, they are long-term ones. You know, if you yes. do it badly, they're around for a long time. So um, I guess that's a that's sort of a 
remains a question mark as to how how that the design quality of the of the structure of the building is going to be met and the the qualities of the spaces inside it because the if a you know a, getting a imagine um, that getting three houses on a typical Auckland site um, will be challenging be bloody hard to get that right and good yeah um, and uh, there'll be a lot of them going on and not everyone will stop and make sure they're good um, they'll just do it well I think it also the, this bill really favors the mum and pop developer rather than um, a, a perhaps somebody who who does that for for a living yep. and whatever you think of developers um, I would say that anybody who has a bit of experience um, in it has probably got a better chance probably <laughs> of yep. putting something together um, well than somebody who doesn't so the government has said that a medium density design guide is being produced by the Ministry for the Environment and the Ministry of Housing and Urban Development. What would you like to see in that guide? And do you feel that that guide can ameliorate your greatest concerns about the design quality that this Act, or design poor quality that this Act might allow? Well, I guess the issue with guidance is um, to what extent um, that is then evaluated in the design process. Um, so, you know, if it's accompanied by um, some sort of review process or somebody who can, um, I don't know, be in touch with the design as it progresses, then that can uh, generate some really fantastic outcomes if it's not and if it's, um, you know, something that you could consider rather than need to address formally, then possibly um, the outcomes could be very, very poor. I mean, I think as a um, starting point, um, you know, any development really needs to consider its context. So kind of analysing its place, you know, and how um, how a development will be cited and how it responds to both its neighbours and the street as kind of design 101. Um, and so, you know, the extent to which actually um, developments do that, um, there's, a, there's a big question on that. Is this where things have been falling down in some way, given that it is important that the development, of course, responds to its context, but councils have become involved in determining whether or not that response is appropriate. So there's a long involved process in terms of getting consent, and there's also a real lack of clarity around it. And you've all worked in this kind of area. How in the way does the RMA or the approvals process get? Oh, look, it's tricky, and it's tricky because I think um, councils, for a variety of reasons, want to be able to hang their hat on something that's, you know, measurable. And often um, these sorts of things aren't measurable in quantitative terms. It's about um, kind of a, 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 a quality of scale, and the same uh, response is not always appropriate in different um, situations. So how do you address that through blanket rules mm. it's really really hard um sorry the, on that you, know, you can't quantify some things you know outlook we quantify by a, a dimension mm. but actually you know the the, the resource management or the resource consent process you might go in and argue for something that doesn't meet those um, yeah. those requirements and you might say actually yeah there is no outlook here but it's the the property across the way is unlikely to be um to be developed and therefore the outlook is better than 
the, the rules um, suggest or the dimension suggests. And I, um, I, I th what I fear is that the, to get good outcomes, the we it's a cultural shift in terms of how we even look at these the needs of a home, um, and uh, and um, and that the people drawing them, um, as opposed to necessarily designing them, but the people who are, who are preparing the drawings for these things. Um, may simply not have the tools to think about those qualitative aspects. Mm -hmm. um, what do you mean about the distinction between drawing and design? Oh, look, the, this, this will be, there'll be someone, someone will knock up a scheme um, for, um, for one of these things that will get replicated at the next site. Awesome. Um, there will be, be template schemes for certain sized and shaped exactly. sites that you'll kind of almost buy off plan and then choose the brick colour. Yeah, mm. or someone say, "Look, we're going to take the window out, put it over there." You know, um, and it will. And the the I think what I think what we're trying, what we're worried about is there are holistic outcomes. When all these buildings come together, there are holistic outcomes that um, that um, that will add up to a good place to live. What I'm trying to imagine how we sound. To outside this room, and I wonder if it's good to spend a minute on what are good and bad outcomes that these rules won't capture or help us with. Because certain things, and this is something we, we deal with this all the time, we're always living in this funny liminal space about design quality, good and bad outcomes, but I think it might be worth just laying some of it out. Tries to stipulate setbacks, tries to stipulate physical dimensions for outlook and recession plans and it would be easy for, for people to go well that sounds reasonable to me sets far enough off my boundary does these kind of things what is good what is bad what are some of the concerns I guess we have that aren't captured by these rules that this rules might that these rules might still allow to happen the bad outcomes well I think some some of it's thinking about how your um, design responds to the areas beyond your site so for example how does the house address the street is it a blank wall with a door or is there kind of a window that's sort of actually for if you're on the street feels like yeah. a friendlier sort of environment so we'd talk about activation so that would mean is it overlooked does it engage yeah. with the street yeah is there texture is there variety yeah. and then how is that relevant in that particular context yeah. which might be characterized by lack of variety yeah. or a whole lot of texture but yeah. at the same time it's a balancing act because equally if you have a really huge window that is looking straight into mm. your dining area and uh, the somebody on the street is walking two meters from that that feels pretty uncomfortable mm. for the residents inside who will mm. probably draw their curtains the mm. entire time and that then also and you know, it sort of seems ridiculous to talk about curtains and streetscape at the same time but it has a massive effect yeah. and there is a poor outcome yeah. and it could be designed out because it could be that that window actually has a sill height yeah, yeah, to it. Yeah. Or, and there are guidelines around this about... 20% glazing on, on street-facing facade. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess, and you can... Um, but if that glazing is... A, that, that's a really interesting example. That's an attempt 
to get to the kind that. of thing you've got. But it has a whole lot of wacky, unintended consequences. Because if there's a bathroom behind that, that's yeah. going to be awkward for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Or you break that 20% down into 10 tiny little windows. Exactly. Because you're really close to a, a view you don't want to have. So think, so that's a good example. What are some well, What are some others? If we just step back or up. We, we're, we, no, more we're, than six metres. <laughs> we... Um, we are all familiar with, and people listening will all be familiar with, the sort of rules that are currently in there. Setbacks, there's height relation boundary, there's maximum height. There's, but actually, those are quite coarse tools to manage privacy. Mm -hmm. um, the relationship between habitable spaces and public spaces, which is privacy but also yeah. other things. Um, access to light, somewhere to sit outside somewhere to have a you know, barbecue, somewhere somewhere that enables the home to operate as a functional thing to provide basic human needs and contribute to the street in a way that the street can do its job as part of a community. Yeah. So all of those rules are, are kind of are there to manage those things. Outlook is not about anything other than when you're sitting in a room, how far can you see? Because you don't, you know, we don't want to build houses that people don't like living in um, or might um, buy and have an outlook until the neighbour builds next to mm. So there's, I think it boils down to those, the needs of the people in the community who, who live there. So the problem is I don't see in this act those rules being changed. I'm trying to, trying to remember my time in London where the, the work we did was really contextual in terms of we have a site in behind some terrace houses and um, and if it was New Zealand, you'd start, you'd have set off some ba uh, from boundaries and bits and pieces. We started with a plan of all of the adjacent houses and all the habitable spaces and all the, you know, there's a, a guidance which says that six metres is kind of as close as you want to be, or whatever it was, 10 mm, metres. Mm. So we would chart that and we'd, we'd turn the windows 90 degrees so you weren't overlooking the neighbours um, Backyard, rise to light, rise to light, all that sort of yep. thing. So, um, yeah, and you, there's a way of measuring right to light, and you could buy it, which, which is, is really a way of pricing those rights so that you could buy them and then block the light. That's right. Yeah. Um, but there was a, uh, it was, it's quite, it's much more subtle, and I think it's interesting mm. that the town planners working there were far provided much more. Um, they went beyond saying, well, you don't comply here and you do comply here. And, and they gave advice about what would be acceptable in the eyes of the of the city council. You know, okay, we see you're, you're quite close here. I don't think, you know, I don't think there's going to be a, um, this is going to be accepted. We need to do something about that window because you're looking down into this, the, that person's bathroom window, you know, whatever it might be. So really fine grain. You know, the, I sus suspect it certainly happens now, but we very rarely do you see um, schemes being developed with uh, an understanding of the adjacent properties, mm. their layout, mm. you know, the, the bulk, maybe. You might think yeah. Streetscape, you might do your street elevation, would yeah. be a common one, but you yep. would certainly never go beyond that front facade as to what rooms are adjacent. No. Yeah. It did seem in the submissions I read against this bill that... There was this kind of undertone of like, oh my gosh, you're going to ruin our urban environment. And I was kind of, 
thinking that it's actually not that flash in a lot of cities now. So I wanted to ask you if you feel this act will make it demonstrably worse than quite a lot of the shitty developments we already mm. had and have allowed under the previous regime. That's a really great question. And it's also a really hard one to answer. I can kind of think about it and imagine it in the um, uh, urban, uh, you know, in the Auckland context because it's familiar to me. I don't know how it might go down in areas like, say, Hamilton, where, where actually perhaps there's also a lot of newer development happening anyway i mean and, and potential i don't know and i also don't know what their um current um rules allow mm. so but do you want to talk about the auckland context then well i think the auckland context i just keep thinking this is an infill housing bill mm. um and the there could be some good examples there could be some really great examples but there could also be a lot of pretty average exa examples. And I guess the thing is, because it's not really talking about context or quality, the emphasis is almost like what, it, it feels quite an, like quite an insular sort of um, set of rules, i.e. what can I build on my site? And I think that if we are looking to increase density, the thing that we all need to be uh, uh -huh. doing is changing our mindsets <laughs> to be thinking not just about ourselves anymore, but about the community and the environment that we live in. And that goes um, uh, to everything from, from just actually being a good neighbour as a person to ensuring that our buildings on our sites are good neighbours also. Right. And so for me, I, I kind of keep thinking of the 1990s in full houses, which were, you know, say three townhouses down a right of way. And, and to me, this bill seems like it might enable more of that kind mm -hmm. of thing, mm -hmm. which, you know, are sometimes fine, but, you know, within, with, you know, within themselves, but probably not offering much back. It's not necessarily making things better, though. No. No, it's not a mechanism. We that. talked about our group chat in the last episode, how it was like 50% Beyonce gives and 50% urban intensification, and the last <laughs> 24 hours was like very heavily on the latter. We might have to share our DMs, um, <laughs> or have them leaked. <laughs> but one of the things you talked about there is just that typology of the row house with the shared driveway and what it does to that side of that building, prioritising vehicles. Mm. You know, as a typology, kind of stuffs that whole side. It stuffs it for amenity. It stuffs it for the ability to kind of even your view, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. And look, I mean, obviously there's heaps of ways to develop a, a site. But, you know, it, it, yeah, I, I guess without um, strong guidance and in an alternative direction, it's very easy to see that that would become the default position. Sort of sounds like you're saying something was necessary because the previous system was slightly broken, but that this is probably not the ideal mechanism to move us forward into a beautiful urban, new urban era. There's a danger that we're, I think we, I think it is fair to say that in a lot of sites we'll be crossing a threshold from which building a single story house on a site has a limited effect on the people around it and and it's kind of got enough space that you can mm. live in it and it'll be fine and we're actually crossing a threshold to something which is much more complex in order to achieve those holistic outcomes that we're talking about mm. um and it's and the rules and the um and the 
the mechanism that you can design within isn't changing to reflect that. Um, and therefore it relies heavily on other things. And it might be the guidelines. And as you've said before, guidelines are great um, as if someone's policing them, but actually you'll submit a building consent yeah. for a three-story, um, three-unit um, building um, on a site. And someone might review it against the guidance I suspect if, if that person were to say, hey, look, I don't, think, I don't think you've read paragraph three of section six properly, and you know, perhaps you could um, revisit that. No one's going to... No. It'll be... They'll have ordered the materials. You know, It'll be underway. Um, the, the, won't, the checks and... There's no opportunity to, to really stop it, I don't think. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like what you're saying is that even if there was... Even if there were a quality component, there just isn't actually the personnel and the infrastructure to do it on this kind of fine-grained scale that this will lead to. Well, yeah, and I think also, and this is where I am not a lawyer, so um, I don't understand the intricacies of it, but because my, my um, basic understanding is that because it's an act, actually that's sort of right up the top of the, the food chain in terms of, you know, things that you can do and so everything else is a drop down from that mm -hmm. like if you were to challenge it it'd be like but the act says I can do this right mm -hmm. and so all of those qualitative measures and so on will actually need to fit in and around that um, if you had a situation where the qualitative measures because of the context challenge some of those higher order um, controls then I guess the controls will win out that's yeah. my reading of it <laughs> Just from a kind of, you know, I mean, the, the Greater Auckland article, which we should probably share around, has some great graphs, has some great analysis, at least of the isthmus and where consents are done. How big a, how big a potential influence is this on density compared to just the UAP, the, the uh, unitary plan, the fab zones and the intensification of larger sites and larger heights around the transport corridors and centres? The national policy statement on urban development. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to me, that, that feels like a... Because we are talking three-unit kind of developments. We're not talking 30-unit developments on three or four... So three or four amalgamated sites that could give you nine or 12 can deliver 30, 40 units. This yeah. is a political thing that's interesting, right? Because Wellington's council, before this act was introduced, had made some really interesting progress on allowing greater density in a lot of areas in the central city. And some of those inner city suburbs, um, to some quite strong opposition. But I wondered if because the other cities seemed to lack that momentum that the government felt it needed to step in more suitably. Because you have, for example, suggestions that, you know, the, the National Policy Statement on Urban Development allows greater density within walkable catchments mm -hmm. undefined of public transport nodes. And there was some suggestion that Auckland Council was going for the narrowest possible definition of a walkable catchment so as to not put too much pressure on right. mm -hmm. some of the places around it. So the density would be limited to a scale that kind of made it not super successful. So that's why I was kind of asking before about this sort of impatience that the housing crisis has engendered from mm. the government where it's stepping in and going, no, and sorry, this is leading to an actual question, which is, um, I felt, and I wondered if you felt this too, that there wasn't somebody in council or in government 
championing or even bothering to aspire to a conversation about urban form and what it might feel like to live in a well-designed city. And did you also feel that absence as this debate? Need a design champion. <laughs> yes. Mm. <laughs> I mean, because this is actually an opportunity here as well to enter into dialogue about uh, about what, what would be a good alternative and what do we mm. actually need? Because mm. arguably, you know, upping the density for to three units is not a game changer for yeah. Auckland. That's not going to shift the needle in the way that we need it to. It's certainly not going to um, bring the sort of transformation that we need around transport um, yeah. and um, denser centres and so on. Infrastructure, all, all of, of that, that stuff. With that. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, this would have been a fantastic opportunity for somebody to say, all well and good, but actually if you really want to address the housing need, this, this is the vision that we have, make this easier. That's it, it has kind of created some, well, maybe not this act in particular, but it does feel like there are a lot more positive advocates in the housing sector now, much more visible ones than I had noticed before. So perhaps this conversation is going to continue in productive ways, but it feels like the act might be an encumbrance on that conversation developing positively. Oh, you know, I think that there is just an awful lot going on in this area at the moment. I mean, uh, there is a lot of house building going on. And when I say house, I mean the full spectrum of, you know, single houses through to kind of multi-unit mm -hmm. um, residential developments. There are new sorts of, new for New Zealand, sorts of tenure options that are increasingly going to become on the table in the, in the next 10 years. There is state-led development. There's private sector development. There's a lot going on. There's a reform to the Resource Management Act, which will be significant. Um, perhaps this has brought some of those conversations to the head around housing, but I think there's a lot going around on in the background anyway. Mm. Perhaps people are just being too busy to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> too tired to talk about <laughs> too it. Too tired. <laughs> that seems like a good place to stop, actually. Does everybody agree or shall we ramble on? Can I go around the table really quick, for or against? Um, I submitted for, and I understand the concerns you will have, and I agree with the concerns you have around urban form, but I think my submission was primarily motivated by anger against <laughs> the current regime and what I felt was foot dragging from Auckland Council and the way that local democracy just seemed to be increasingly weighted to kind of tolerating Nimbyism. And I felt that our cities needed some sort of radical shift. I understand that this is possibly not the perfect version of that, but it also felt like an appropriate punishment for the people who've been <laughs> flocking things for a long time. And, and you can read Jeremy's submission and we will share it. Matt, for or against? I, I think that going right back to the beginning, I think that um, the idea and the intent is great. I think the um, the execution of it, um, how that plays out will be fascinating. The guidelines and, and their weight within the Act will be interesting. Um, the way that Council responds to it will be interesting. Well, one way of Council responding to it is say, okay, well, you've asked us to allow this envelope. Um, actually, we're going to allow more. So you can build, you know, there's no height relations to, um, to boundary, for instance. They might expand that envelope to make better outcomes possible. And I, I don't know 
um, the process or the system well enough to know whether the Auckland Council will have that um, that ability. Um, so I think it would be great um, uh, in terms of our cities getting more people within, um, you know, a denser city is a better city, um, but I'm concerned about the finer grain outcome of it all. Mr Brown, the people want to know, for or against, or on the fence with concerns? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to see the, the guidelines. I think we need to, uh, I don't know if we have the full picture yet. Yeah, you don't have Jeremy's level of um, commitment. Uh, commitment slash vengeance. That's right, <laughs> um, I'm not, just simply not angry enough. For or against? Well, um, I support the intent, but I do not um, support uh, this bill in this form um, because it doesn't address issues of design quality. And I think as our cities get denser, actually we need to ensure that, um, you know, those uh, aspects, those qualitative aspects are considered. What about you, Ange? I'm very much in Tasha's camp. I'm, I'm, I, I get the intent, but I'm not really in support. I think it's salting the wrong bit of the meal. It's giving the impression of pulling a big lever around density. Uh, but I think the, particularly the implications around decentralised development mm. and what that means for transport and infrastructure. Just if anything's kind of, you know, I've learned a lot in, in practice around the implications of piping all that water and poo back and forth long distances totally. and cars and the cost of that on a one-off basis rather than centralising. So I'm a, I'm a no, not in this current form, but nice try. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I that is a personal opinion only um, so yeah as you said good place to stop good discussion good sound quality we hope um, that's episode 38 we'd love to know what you think as Jeremy said at the beginning interesting topic but also some interest from our listeners who actually requested that we talk a little bit about density so there we go don't make it a habit (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you for joining us on episode 38 and we'll see you next time thanks for listening everybody mate wa mate wa